Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everybody. It's Eric with IndieWire. And before we sink into this year's Oscar season, it's worth remembering that some of the movies that won last year are still worth checking out. Like Ida from Poland, which won the Best Foreign Language Oscar. And if you head to Vimeo.com slash IndieWire and use the promo code ERIC20, you can get a 20% discount to watch Ida right now. It's a really beautiful story of a crisis of faith set in the 1960s. One of my favorite films from last year. So I hope you'll go check it out using that code ERIC20 and let me know what you think. But for now, on with the show. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the chief film critic and deputy editor. Joined, as always, by Ann Thompson in Los Angeles from Thompson and Hollywood. And this time in, in Locarno for the Locarno Film Festival, which you would think would be a break from anticipating all the fall season noise and, and Oscar movies being right around the corner. But actually, it's interesting, Ann. I've been here about a day or so, and I haven't really had the chance yet to see a lot of the movies in the festival. That'll happen in the coming days, and by the time you get here, I'll have a whole bunch of other stuff to talk about. So we'll do that next week, but I'm interested in this conversation you had with Edward Norton, which I thought was remarkably provocative. Well, I was going to say, I mean, even though it seems as though I'm escaping all that other stuff, Oscar stuff still somehow materializes here because I was speaking with Edward Norton and we had a chance to connect because he received a, an Excellence in uh, Achievement Award, which they give to various different people every year. And uh, I moderated a conversation with him, but I also had a chance to speak to him a little bit beforehand. And it had been about a year since he started the promotional engines for uh, Birdman. And obviously that restricts the way in which somebody can speak when they're in that mode. And now he could speak more freely. And he had a lot to say about <laughs> the, the, uh, the sort of promotional process of well, awards. Well, he season. makes no secret. I mean, I did a Q&A, some kind of SAG Q&A with him and Andrea Riseborough. And, you know, I've known him a long time. I've interviewed him, too. He's very smart and very articulate and very, um, you know, he's one of the smart guys in the room, you know. But he, he doesn't like doing promotional stuff. You know, a lot of but actors don't. Argue. I mean, the, the argument is... But he itself, did it. Is, it. It's there. I mean, it, it's people seem to be responding. Just in the short time since this interview was published, I've, I've been seeing people... I, I had no idea. I, mean, I thought maybe there's there are a million ways to poke holes in this argument. But essentially what he is proposing is that the Academy take a stand and say that four-year consideration ads are against the rules so that this doesn't end up being a competition involving ridiculous amounts of money and has more to do with the quality of the work because the amount of money being spent on this ca- ca- these sort of campaigns has an adverse effect on the ability for movies like Birdman to seem like worthwhile propositions because instead it seems as if it's losing money because so much money is being spent on that awards campaign, even though it paid off. 
In that particular case, it did, but you'll notice um, that there are a lot of examples of of other movies. I I guess The Diving Bell and The Butterfly comes to mind. There are a million of them, a million, something like No Country for Old Men. There are a million examples of movies that eventually lost lost money because they had Oscar campaigns. You could say it enhances their value all over the world in lots of different markets, but finally, the people who paid for those Oscar campaigns – it is punitive. It is really punitive, especially in the world that we live in now where if an actor like Edward Norton, but especially the women, like someone like Jennifer Lawrence, it costs you a lot of money to get her hairdresser and her costume uh, fitter stylist, uh, the, the, the cars, the airplanes, the charter flights, the entourages, the makeup, everything costs hundreds of thousands, if not millions of, of, of dollars. But he also is proposing, um, and I will argue why these things are not going to happen eventually, but he's also arguing that this um, onslaught of shows, this, I like, the, I mean, it's true. A lot of this used to be smaller scale. It used to be more uh, private. It, it didn't all, these award shows, these proliferating award shows have increased in scale and become yeah let's go clear money, what he was saying money they, they, making enterprises specifically and, he's going after the guilds because he was saying that those used to be private but now they're televised also they critics choice fun. also golden right. globes all that stuff and he's saying you know if a, he's saying if the academy forbade an actor or a piece of talent from Absolutely, actually appearing on one of those shows that that would make them ineligible for the right. Oscar. They, then they the whole thing would collapse. Right, it because collapse. the very idea of appearing on TV at these award shows is in fact a form of of an awards campaign for for the Oscars. I, I mean, don't I, think that any of this is possible, <laughs> but let, and I'll tell we, you one reason why. One reason why is that it would literally put us and the other trades out of business. I'm not kidding. The only reason that Variety, The Hollywood Reporter, The Wrap, um, you know, even the online ones, we're less dependent than everyone else, if anything. I mean, it's possible that IndieWire would survive because we have so many other sources of income and we're not entirely dependent on the Oscars. But it would whack off a great bit of, of income for us. It, it is, it, But the other ones... Seriously, they would literally no longer function. They couldn't exist. Well, they would have to figure None out of them. You, I mean, it, there is no this, other way. Post-apocalyptic entertainment media landscape that you're suggesting that exists within the confines of Edward Norton's Utopian Awards. <laughs> uh, I think that what would be interesting about it is that it would force everybody to come up with new solutions for how they do the work that they do. It wouldn't allow the academy to be the epicenter of the industry as it stands well one of the reasons you like it is because it would make the critics more powerful again (laughs) well i I don't think they ever lost power so that's a different conversation in that world (laughs) in the world of academy awards yes the critics do have power yeah and and i also think that the the academy itself is more of a sincere institution then the industry surrounding it, and That's part of true. it, because there, there are, you know, it's the people who vote. But are, they're not pure, like, entirely pure, and the reason they're not, and the voters are 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 influenced by all the things we've been describing in a way that's horrifying, and the way that it's really horrifying. I was do, I was doing a little research the other day. Um, uh, there was an announcement that Cheryl Boone Isaacs is the new president, and and. Um, 
I was I was actually looking. Oh, it was uh, there was an announcement uh, of the new dates for for uh, BAFTA for the for the British Academy Awards. I was looking up how many British Academy Awards overlapped with the Oscars, and there was a a, a, a Wikipedia page which had some thirteen actresses and I think eleven actors who had won all five Golden Globes, SAG, Critics' Choice, BAFTA, and the Oscars. All five. That many. What's gone wrong in the new climate, the one that he's complaining about, is that there's this snowball effect that occurs where everybody starts to solidify around, quote-unquote, the winner. And it's just unanimous after that and and no one's going to you know not go along with that rolling thunder that's the frustrating thing that happens every year is even though we have all these different things that we're talking about the inevitability is that within a couple of months we're talking about one or two movies and we're sick of talking about them anyway oh well we're all tired of it and the stuff i saw on twitter responding to it everybody was sort of cheering at this idea because we get as much as we get caught up in it and i get caught up in it very early i'm you know i'm excited now you know, to sort of figure out what the what's going on. You know, Miles Ahead is now being picked up by Sony Pictures Classics, and are they going to put it out in 2015, or are they going to wait because it's already set for closing night at the New York Film Festival, which is unusual that it's an independent film that didn't have a distributor before they set it for closing night, and now Sony Pictures Classics has won the bidding and bought all these territories around the world, and they are going to release it. But, you know, I get caught up in, is, is John Cheadle going to be best actor you know that stuff the uh the 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 truth is by the time we get to january or february i'm tired of it and everyone else is too right oh absolutely fortunately we're not quite there yet and there are so many different things we can dig into because there are so many movies that could be worth talking about at this juncture and certainly are for other reasons that don't have anything to do with those campaigns that haven't fully taken off yet and uh the distributors are such a key part of that. You know, we rely on them almost to kind of message to us whether or not something is going to be a part of that season. And one of the and one of the ways we figure that out is whether they're going to spend the money for a major festival berth and all the uh, uh, trappings, and whether they're going to spend the money on the campaigns that we've been talking about. Right. Absolutely. So one of the distributors who's actually been really interesting in this landscape just in the last few years is Radius. Uh, a part of the Weinstein Company, we've talked about them before, co-presidents Tom Quinn and Jason Janago. And that leads us into another item worth discussing with this week, which was just yesterday this news broke that the two of them are looking to leave the company and get involved in a more traditional theatrical distribution company, maybe. We don't know all the we details. We don't know that. We don't know that. One of the things that I find fascinating about this story is that there was a, a variety broke the story that wasn't supposed to break. Okay, so that story represents a certain level of reporting that wasn't confirmed by the people involved. See what I'm right. saying? Yeah, and, and then, certainly and there, then there are things you can pull apart about you can all look of at, this stuff. You can look at that story and see what did they report, and then in, in a quote-unquote relatively objective way from what they had unearthed. Then well, you have Michael Fleming at Deadline, clearly, and then the Hollywood Reporter after him, confirming the story officially and the Hollywood Reporter, they, obviously the people involved, some of them, whoever they are, got on the phone behind the scenes, off the record, but 
giving them background and spun it in this wholly different way that was more favorable to the Weinstein company, that it was amicable, that maybe Harvey was actually going to invest in Radius, this new company, and that they were abandoning this uh, 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 VOD uh, thing in favor of theatrical. The whole point, the whole point of Radius, was to innovate in the digital multi-platform sphere. What has happened that they would abandon that course of action? Right. Well, I think there there are a few breadcrumbs you can pick up on, and, and those of us who actually know these guys can get a little bit more from that. But clearly all of this is being reported prematurely, which I think is unfortunate because you look at those stories, there's no substantial information about it. And I I feel bad for them on some level because when somebody's in the process of switching a job and they haven't fully done that, it's kind of a sucky thing to have it out there without any real details. And I think there and might be And by the way, the Harvey... And, yeah, exactly. And what is, the other thing is that Harvey... What's the word on the street? What is the word on the street of David Glasser's leaving the you know their COO unexpectedly, you know, and, right. and that was reported definitely. They tried to keep him, you know. What is you know they've lost several other key executives who haven't been replaced. The word on the street is that Radius didn't have enough, uh, wasn't getting enough money from Weinstein to per, to acquire all the stuff they wanted to acquire. So what does that spin mean? That spin means Harvey wants people to think he has more money than he has, that he would actually invest in their new company. Right. Well, I find that what's, what's, in, what's worth exploring about this process is that Radius is a company run by people who wanted to explore innovative ways to be successful under the constraints of the contemporary independent film landscape and seem to have cracked some kind of code for some of that. They you know, made, produced two Oscar-winning movies two years in a row that they acquired. 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 Came acquired. On board, yeah. but, but did great. So great they did work. great with Citizen Four and 20 Feet from Stardom, and that's a huge achievement. Yeah. And, and Especially was, since they didn't spend a fortune to do and so. And there were some really fascinating experiments, like with Snowpiercer, where they put it on VOD two weeks after a fairly wide theatrical release. Elements of that suggests that there, there were ways in which they could try new things in this company and maybe they hit a saturation point where it was sort of like, we, we've done it. We did the thing we wanted to do with this project. Now we're ne- ready for the next one, which may be we want to make bigger movies. I think they want to have more funds, you know, to to work with. And I think that in this incredibly competitive, buyer-heavy, uh, seller's market, we and especially this is the big story that overwhelms everything else now that Netflix and Amazon are really in the game and the i think it is not coincidental that the announcement about Macbeth's release which is a radius not a Weinstein co that means Weinstein co didn't want to spend all that money that you're talking about the oscar funding for Macbeth and wanted to do it on a lower level scale uh, you know it's almost as though <laughs> Weinstein's the studio and radius was the you know specialty division you know kind of thing that could do it on a smaller scale um and basically uh amazon was going to be uh the other part of that component and i and i i just find that uh fascinating given that um 
uh, Weinstein's always been in, in bed with Netflix all these all these years. So uh, what does that mean? You know, so now that Amazon is entering the fray, they have Bob Ernie there, they have Ted Hope there, they have Scott Foundas there. They are obviously beefing up radically and creating an infrastructure, even though the beasts of um, forget forget I said that. So they're creating this infrastructure. This is a really um, what could what could the radius people you know Quinn and Janego what could they do to help Amazon that if they were a standalone distribution company that that's an interesting question. Yes, if they absolutely. Could be, if they could be a theatrical component within in but within the multi-platform universe, they'd still be a theatrical component for for these companies. Yes, absolutely, and it's and it's one that we're going to have to put a pin in because we just don't know, and speculation will only get us so far. So, meanwhile, one of those more traditional distributors, as as we were talking about before, Sony Pictures Classics. In addition to Miles Ahead, which is now part of their slate, they have Diary of a Teenage Girl, which we talked about a little while back, but is finally opening this week. It's a great movie, one of the more impressive coming-of-age stories I've seen in a long time. I really thought it should have won Sundance. Now, its awards prospects are a different kind of story because it's not that kind of movie in the same way that a lot of the other films are talking about. Do you feel similarly? Oh, I love this movie so much. And um, I actually went to see it a second time because I raved about it at Sundance. I just went over the moon and I wanted to see it again in a, in a theater and see how it played. And it played really, really well. Um, and I, I think it's a big breakout for Belle Powley and for uh, it shows us a side of Alexander Skarsgård that few have seen. And, and I think I just think it's remarkable because it, what, what Mariel Heller has done adapting this, this novel is to give us a look at teen sexuality, but also just relationships between men and women that is so unusual and remarkable. Um, and it, it, we don't, we've never seen it before. And she gets away with it because it's period and she gets away with it. You know, it's the sixties, the swimming, uh, the seventies, the swinging seventies set in 76 in San Francisco and Hate Ashbury and so on. But, um, really this the the material between this young girl who is just going for broke and <laughs> with her mother's boyfriend um who's just like a kid you know a goofy kid uh there's real connections between them and real real stuff going on and it's a it's a rowdy entertaining incredibly believable uh ride that you just don't know where it's going yeah, no, I know. More than that, though, I think, and I, I've seen it twice, once at Sundance and, and once at New Director's New Films, and I'm, I'm interested in seeing it again. It's the way in which that it deals with female sexuality is such an interesting challenge to the way in which we see it in American cinema. I mean, even something like Trainwreck, which is being hailed as fairly progressive in certain ways, is, is coy to some degree, at least, when it comes to these kinds of depictions. And I'm not, I'm not saying that you know, train wreck is somehow, you know, should be held up in com direct comparison with this movie. But, well, I, but it's I a different genre in a way. I mean, it's a, as, as we've discussed, it's a conventional romantic comedy that, you know, takes takes it. It, it takes it a, a little bit more closer to the edge of, of something rel relatively authentic. This 
I would say it's about men and women, it, and it's but it's told from the female point of view in a way that very few movies are. That's that's the real uh, progression here. Uh, that's why it's so revolutionary. And so in terms of Oscars, what are we thinking? Is well, there that's even the thing. I looked at it a second time, and I think a lot of people will recognize how good it is. I don't think we're alone. Um, but I wonder if a first-time woman filmmaker in a very small-scale independent film, you know, with... Kristen Wiig is very good. I could see her as a more established actress getting supporting actor actress thing. I think Belle Powley and, and Alexander Skarsgård both deserve uh, acting recognition in this. But you, you never know how, how uh, the Academy is going to respond to something small like this. And the Academy well, that, is very large and very so, male, yeah, very well, that, senior. Yeah, that goes back to, to what we were talking about before in a lot of ways. But the screenplay is also something with considering it, it's adapted from a... a I think she has actually a very good chance at that. I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, it's and, and visually, it it looks like the graphic novel. It follows it beat by beat, and that's a very difficult thing to do without sort of losing something cinematically. And it's, it's also a very cinematic movie. So well, visually. it was an obsession of hers for, for eight years. I mean, she put it on as a play, and she started it when she first put it on. And, uh, and then she went to the Sundance Labs with it and took it into, into film, film you know, universe. And, and she's just done a fabulous job. Um, so I hope everyone goes to see this film. Right. And right, I hope all yeah. the critics like it as much as you did. I mean, as far as I can tell, they do. It's always a challenge to some degree because of the kind of world we live in where I don't know exactly what the reaction was among various different critics at Sundance, but... By now, when, with this movie coming out now, I mean, maybe if it had won Sundance and received a different kind of release or, or come out earlier in the year, there would have been a different kind of conversation about it. I don't want to say that it feels like old news. It doesn't, it does feel to some degree like the world is not really hyped around this movie and paying attention to this movie the way that, say, Blue's the Warmest Color had so much attention around it. Maybe there was more of a, a scandalous air about that movie and, and, and the way that it dealt with. Uh, it's various themes. And, I think it, I agree with you. I actually agree with you. But I think that what we can say here is that is that this movie um, isn't disappointing people the way, say, the overhyped Mineral and the Dying Girl was. That movie was a little too slick, right. a little too commercial. This movie could be a discovery for a lot of people because you've never seen anything like this before and there's nothing slick about it. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that bothered me about the moment that me and Earl came out is that it fueled all these think pieces about the, the overhyped Sundance movie and why that was such a bad thing. And so many people were coming down hard on Sundance. Well, this is a really good Sundance movie. It's the kind of movie that belongs at a festival that celebrates new American cinema and introduces it to the world. And so it's, it's sort of the paragon of, of why festivals like that can be a great platform for certain kinds of movies. No question. So, so maybe people should, you know, write sequels to those, those think pieces. Like, <laughs> Although the funny thing is I am in Lucarno, and, and me and Earl and the Dying Girl is uh, part of the, uh, the Piazza Grande section, so it will be receiving a screening in front of 8,000 people outdoors. I'm not dismissing that movie. It's just it's, it's, it's one of those movies that, that just didn't measure up to all the hype. 
No, it's it's a, it's a tough movie to come down on for a lot of different reasons. One, because you kind of feel like you're just a cold, cynical person if you if you don't like the I cancer. I cried. I but, cried. But uh, there are other things that, are, that I have issues with. We don't want to get derailed by... No, by just, no, no, that, no. I mean, yeah. there is another movie opening that we also like, worth talking about, maybe not quite as big a, a cultural achievement as, say, Diary of a Teenage Girl might be. It's certainly not a part of Oscar season, but it's Cop Car, which is uh, John Watts' film also at Sundance. It was in the midnight section. It's this really cool kind of spare uh, thriller of sorts. These two kids in the middle of nowhere find a cop car and steal it. They're like 10 and uh, it turns out to belong to Kevin Bacon as this corrupt deputy, and he goes chasing after them. And you don't get a whole lot more details than that. It's very similar in certain ways to the, the stripped-down narrative of Steven Spielberg's duel, but at the same time, it's got that kind of morbid humor element that the Coen brothers always play with. And uh, it's just a really impressive feature in the sense that it, it does so much with so little, which, as we've spoken about in the past, is why I think it's unfortunate that Watts is now going to go make a Spider-Man movie. I you think that- always get hung up on this thing that, you know, the indies should should somehow stay stay indie. I interviewed um, John, and I was, too, was very impressed with this movie. First of all, it's incredibly well-written, and it's written by people who understand how to build suspense, how to plant certain clues, how to give you just so much information and leave a lot out, and all these these two boys are so unreliable and incredibly young and fanciful and imaginative, and they imagine the positive side of things, you know, and they don't understand what real consequences could possibly be as they're driving down the highway at 90 miles an hour, you know, with a with guns in the back seat that they haven't discovered yet, and they're about to find, you know, and then they're running around with guns. Oh, my God. And, of course, the, the cop turns out to be not a very good guy, so... And there's a wonderful scene where he he's trying to break into a car and he's lowering <laughs> with you know, a string, the loop yeah. you know to try to get the thing to pull up the old fashioned kind of of lock you know yeah. hilarious movie yeah it's really almost well like a, done. it's got that these this element of like a roadrunner cartoon or something just like a slapstick yeah. comedy and under under absurd conditions yeah i actually think he he's i mean we talked about this he's he's as much influenced by the kind of cinema of, of a william friedkin or the uh and he's of the generation of filmmakers that grew up with the great Spielberg films of the 80s. So he's, sure. you know, this is a, actually maybe a companion piece to something like um, the J.J. Abrams uh, movie that, that that was such an homage. Super 8. Exactly. Yeah, although it's, it's like the micro-budget kind of thing. Yes. I mean, you're seeing that. I mean, I thought that Super 8, I called that Spielberg porn at the time because I thought it was almost too excessive, although I liked elements. Oh, I of, enjoyed that a lot. Sure, but I mean, this one isn't nearly that excessive. You, know, you can pick up on those breadcrumbs, but it's not the whole picture. There's, there's something else going on here, which is just uh, focusing on... A, a real narrative told in in pictures with a lot of payoff. I mean, it, it's totally funny. entertaining. <clears throat> totally entertaining. And what's what was fun talking to him? You can see how funny he is. You can see how serious he is about doing a good job with Spider Man, which he's writing with the writers. So it's 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 there's there's hope. 
you know, that this guy, that this guy will, will, uh, deliver on the promise. But he has, as he said to me, he has a trunk full of really cool projects that after Spider-Man, he will have a chance to make now. That yeah, everybody, says that. everybody says that. I mean, I just, I, I believe the trunk exists, but like, how do you open that when you, you've got to bury yourself in this thing? And what does that do to your mind? Does it warp expectations? I mean, I look at certain filmmakers who don't make this jump. I just I just have to harp on this because I, I feel like there are ways that you can still support yourself and continue to expand your brand and, and have a career in all kinds of different ways without necessarily latching on to some other big project that where the goal is not you and the goal is not your art. And that, to me, it can be very frustrating. Of course, you know, again, I'm pretending that I'm living in Edward Norton's utopia. Yeah, so. you you and Edward deserve each other. No, this this guy is, is obviously a, a, an example of someone who has died and gone to heaven. I mean, give, give him... Give him a chance to to try and and enjoy his his the fruits of his of his labor. He he's he's a smart guy. He's not you know he I, I get it. it. When you see the movie, you totally understand why Marvel would want to exploit him. So anyway, Diary of a Teenage Girl, Cop Car, interesting double bill, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and maybe Mariel Heller will get hired by someone to direct a really good movie. And she has. She's going to be doing the Ruth Bader Ginsburg movie, which which I find very interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'd love Why to not? see who they cast for that. There's a lot of possibilities there. Although somebody, Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman. That's somebody who they did have. make a, a, an interesting point recently that I saw posted on Facebook about how this whole narrative of, you know, let's get some women directors to, to direct superhero movies is kind of... Uh, maybe a bit of a weird digression, like they don't necessarily want to make those movies. I mean, does Ava DuVernay really want to make a Black Panther? No, I don't think she really wanted to make that movie. I mean, if the, if it has a larger symbolic value... And neither does Catherine sure. Bigelow, who they've been chasing forever, you know, to do Bond or, or whatever it is. You know, she's not interested. But um, there are many, many people from Lynn Shelton to, you know, any number of other, you know, uh, Nicole Holof Center, uh, you know, um, Lisa Cholodenko, perfectly capable, perfectly brilliant uh, writer directors, you know, who who could be given much, you know, uh, Shelton works in TV. She does Mad Men. She does other things, but um, and so does Hollow Center. But you you could, and so does Shalodenko. They're all working in TV. But there there are movies these people could be given to do. It's just that the studios aren't interested in the movies that they would have been able to do 10 years ago and and they do nothing but but big except i have to say i saw a movie last night uh directed by a guy of course f gary gray but i saw straight out of compton and i have to say universal strikes again i mean they are doing other things than the usual everyday that's an origin myth movie. It's incredibly entertaining. It is a world that most of us do not know enough about, and it was hugely entertaining. Well, speaking of worlds we don't know a lot about, you're going to get that whole experience when you get to Locarno. Cannot wait. It's going to blow you away, this festival. It's How beautiful is favorites. it? It's great. It was like super hot today, but it's going to rain on Saturday because we're in the mountains and the weather keeps changing. Everybody's really friendly. The programming goes from the big Hollywood stuff and the Piazza 
to these really obscure first or second time filmmakers from almost every country you can think of in the competition. So it's a, it's a great place for discovery and for certain familiarity in a sort of complimentary way. And it always kind of like rejuvenates my passion for this medium right before Oscar season kicks in when it always gets threatened. So you'll see you'll see what it's like for yourself in a couple of days and then we'll, we'll get to do a podcast sometime around your birthday. So I'm really excited about that too. So looking forward. Hey everyone, it's Eric again, and I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Screen Talk. Just a reminder that thanks to our sponsor, Vimeo, you can go to vimeo.com slash IndieWire and watch Last year's Oscar winner for Best Foreign Language Film, Ida, use the promo code ERIC20, that's my name, 20, and you'll get a 20% discount because I really love this movie. It's a really remarkable experience, and uh, it's still worth watching, even though it's from last year's Oscar season. Trust me. Or just watch it and let me know what you thought. We'll see you next week. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.